Hello, and welcome to Message in the Middle with Marianne. We all know that life is hard, right? It's messy, it's unpredictable, but it can be wonderful all at the same time. My hope is that we can take a deep dive into self-development topics and explore life's lessons through book clubs, conversations, and interviews. And together, we can uncover the lessons that others have already learned to help us navigate this crazy, wonderful ride called life. Hello and welcome to Message in the Middle with Marianne. Today I'm speaking with a guest who has years of expertise in an area which many of you are working on, your relationship with food and with your body. My guest, Kerry Folsom Nygaard, is the creator of the Freedom with Body and Food program, founder of the Brain Management 101 Life Coaching Practice, a certified life coach, nutrition specialist, and personal trainer. She's a graduate of the Beating Binge Eating Program, a previous fitness instructor, and last but probably most important, the mother of six children. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. That's quite a bio. You got a lot going on there. (laughs) All the things I want to do, right? All the good things. All the things. So this is an area of focus that's near and dear to my own heart and the journey that I've been on over the last several years, but also lots of people in my Facebook community and that listen to the podcast. Originally, we sort of formed up around this topic. So I'm really glad to have you here with us today to talk about it. I think one of the things that we've come to realize is as different as we all are in our lives and the details of it, we're all very much the same as well. And for that reason, I'd love if you could share some of your background and sort of set the stage on how this unfolded for you. What was your pivotal turning point and what that history looked like? Because I bet it's going to match up a little bit with some of what we're used to. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting, this topic affects everyone. And the reason for that is because we all have a body. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, we're not here if we don't have a right. body. We are no longer among the land of the living if we don't have a body. And so, The way that we view our body, our thoughts about our body, and the biggest thing that I'm going to get to, the biggest pivotal point for me I'm going to lead up to, will kind of address why this is such a big thing and why that matters so much in regards to what why I do everything that I do in regards to my professional practice. Growing up, I was the, I'm the youngest of a dozen children, literally a dozen children. And we grew up kind of wild, running around on acreage and having a grand time. Um, But I'm the youngest of many boys. And as I began to around the age of like eight or nine or so, I remember beginning to think that there's something wrong with my body. And I think that's pretty normal for many women. At least they start as they start to no longer be a little girl, but no longer a young woman. They're kind of this in-between stage. They start to become self-aware, which is when you learn about brain science really makes sense because around the ages of seven, eight, nine is when we gain the ability to start self-reflecting. Mm where we don't believe everything that everyone says, we start internalizing and creating our own internal dialogue. Um, And so this is part of brain science going on here. So we become self-aware and we start to compare ourselves to other people, right? And so then, so that's where a lot of women start to come up with this idea of, wait, my body doesn't look like that body. And this is what society is telling me women's bodies should look like. And I'm becoming a woman. And so diet mentality, thinking that we have to change our body in order to feel valuable or in order to be accepted, starts to filter in. And I was no different. I remember thinking my belly wasn't right. 
And I'm sure someone made some comment along the way and maybe poked my belly and made comments. Anyway, I became like the chubby girl. I remember in third grade being teased for my weight. And and so I began this way. And then I started my first diet around the age of 13. I remember starting to diet and then dropping weight and getting lots of attention Mm. from the opposite sex for doing that and really starting to feel like, oh, that's the way to go. But when you restrict, that never is very good, especially from a brain science standpoint, because food is fundamental for our survival. So when we restrict or limit foods, even if we're getting enough calories, just the idea that food somehow is good or bad or restricted or off limits is going to get the attention of that subconscious brain that's hardwired for survival. Well, I didn't know that at the time, but this whole diet mentality and this idea that I need attention, I need to be accepted, sent me onto a course of going up and down in my weight all throughout my teenage years. I can look through and I can be like, yep, I was up there and I was down here and I was up there and I was down here. Except I didn't keep very many pictures around from when I was up, right? We don't keep those pictures. Yeah. And so I usually have to go to my mom's house and look through her pictures to find those because I weeded those out through my teenage and young adult years, right? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say we have that closet that has size whatever to whatever, right? That range because yeah. you go up and down. Yeah. Yeah. I was a teenager. I went through this, right? And then even even to college and then even to my married years and into my childbearing years, I did this up and down thing. And I got certified as a personal trainer and got all this nutrition certification. But in my efforts to do that, it was in an effort to try to separate myself from that little girl who was teased about her weight and this, like it was somehow I was trying to validate myself. Well, in the year, it was after I had my fifth baby, so it would have been 2015. So I'd lost and gained this baby weight five times, right? And I'd restricted and I'd count calories and I had lost the baby weight again. And so I was supposed to feel relieved and happy. And this is normally where I would have gotten pregnant again, but I was not ready to get <laughs> pregnant again, right? And so there I was kind of left in this place of I'm not getting pregnant again. So the cycle is not continuing. I've lost this baby weight but I could not stop thinking about food. I mean, it was incessant. I remember helping my husband out in his office and all I could think about was this protein bar in my purse. And I wasn't hungry, but all I could think about was this protein bar and what am I gonna eat next? And what did I eat earlier? And because of what I ate earlier, what should I eat further in the day? And oh no, there's this in my house. And if I eat too much of that, what will I have to do to undo it? And I could not think about other things. I woke up thinking about food. I went to sleep thinking about food. And all day long, I was thinking about food. So there was this extreme going on. Well, I didn't know it, but my survival response and my brain was so tripped, meaning my brain was in this feast famine type mentality of either I diet or I binge, either I diet or I binge. And so I wasn't going into binge mode, which would have been like when I get pregnant, right? (laughs) Or I wasn't into like, everything's okay now. And I didn't feel good about restricting, but I was at this weight that I thought, I would be happy, but I was so trapped. And I'm a I'm a person of faith. And so I'm a prayerful person. And I just decided I don't want to live my life this way. And for the sake of my sanity, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And what I mean by that was I'm not going to let my brain be in this. I didn't call it diet mentality then. I just called it, I'm not going to worry about this, meaning food or my body, and I'll probably gain weight, but I'm just not, not going to worry about it anymore thinking that that was a really wise choice. 
And I, I remember I was on my knees praying about it and I was in tears saying, I'm just so frustrated. I'm just not going to do this anymore. And I was like seeking God's like stamp of approval. I'm like, give me a feeling of peace, right? Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know how many of your listeners are, are prayerful people, but even if you're not, I think we oftentimes will turn to like to the universe to give us a sign or whatever it is. And um, very clearly this phrase came to my mind and I didn't expect it, but it was keep going, Carrie. And I was like, what? (laughs) Wait, me? (laughs) Like, did I hear that? Did you hear what I just said? Like, I should really put this aside so I can absolutely, like, this is too much. I should just sweep it, you know, as something of the past and focus on bigger and better things. And it was keep going, Carrie. And I said, okay, but did you hear how I said how miserable I was? And so I had a conversation with my husband and and from that point forward in the days and weeks and months that followed, I was really on a journey to learn how to be in harmony with my body. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were some pivotal points that happened during that time. We lived in this rental house. We were looking for some land at that time to build a home. And I'm sitting in that home now. That's a whole nother story. But I was in this um, bathroom in this rental house and I was just kind of going through this kind of a a redefining because I had looked at my body so long for so long as if she's this way, then I'm where I'm supposed to be. And if she's this way, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So I reflected on pant sizes and scale numbers and so forth to tell me if I was okay and allowed to feel settled in the world. Yeah. And I think that many of us can relate to that. Completely. And I was standing there, I just showered or just was about to shower and I was staring in the mirror. And you know, when you kind of like, you're not really looking at anything, you're kind of staring through it. I was kind of having this like, kind of staring off moment, looking at myself in the mirror. And I like caught my eye and I started looking deeply in my eyes and I had this huge epiphany and really strongly settled upon me was this idea that, oh, I'm not this body, this body body is not me. I'm in this body. Like this is my arm. These are my legs. This is my, like, this is my body, but it's not me. And I began to view her as this most important partner. Everything shifted because I realized that at some point I'm going to die. Right. And I will no longer be in the land of the living and I won't be in my body, but I believe I will continue to exist. Therefore, I'm not my body. So I began to reflect upon her as a separate person, not completely separate because I'm within her, but separate in the way of how I would reflect on any relationship in my life. And I started to treat her accordingly. And I noticed that I had some ideas of, oh, I appreciate my body, but I would really appreciate her and love her if, and when this happens, then then it will be so much better, even though I like appreciate her now. Like I wasn't full in on this like overt, like body bashing thing. I was like, you're supposed to appreciate your body. And I do, you know, I've had these babies and she's strong and all the things, but she would be really great if. And if you think of that type of thinking and place it upon any other relationship in your life, like that's the definition of toxicity. Mm-hmm. Like you think of like narcissistic and codependent relationships, like all the things that we learn about if you delve into, you know, that type of research, it really is the same pattern. You're great, but yeah, if we can change you, yeah, 
that. Right. To be the better thing or to be what I want you to be. It's not unconditional love. It's not even love. It's this manipulative pattern. I need you to be this way. So I get to feel this way. Yeah. Like that would be like me seeing to my children, my teenage children, you need to behave this certain way so that I can feel like I've been a good parent. Yeah. Like how manipulative would that be? Body, you need to comply to these standards that have been handed to me by the world, the standard of beauty so that I can feel validated and acceptable and worthy and confident. Yeah. And it's subtle, but the the effect of it wreaks havoc in our lives. Yeah. And so when I received this epiphany of like, oh, she's not me. Like this body is not me. I found this like inner voice of her. And that sounds kind of woo-woo and elusive, but I found this inner voice of her where I had to heal that relationship where I asked for forgiveness for all the unkind ways that I treated her, had neglected her, had starved her, had overindulged her, overfilled her. I didn't really confer with her in any way or shape or form as to what I would eat or not eat. It was according to plans, according to calories. I started to listen to her just like in any other good relationship, I would listen to them. And I would have unconditional love and acceptance for them. And everything shifted. I stopped thinking that I could only wear certain clothes in my closet if the scale said that I could, right? Like I'd be like, oh, if it's a low, you know, if the scale is low, then I can wear form-fitting clothes. But if the scale is up, then I better wear these, like, you know what I'm saying? Like we all have these little (laughs) minds. Yes. Of course I do. Yes. (laughs) But it's all made up. Yeah. Yeah. It's just made up. Why wouldn't we? Why can't we? What changed though? The day you saw your reflection, what do you think prompted you to have that epiphany? Do you accredit it to divine intervention or just finally being ready? I mean, I am, I'm someone who believes in God and I'm I'm pretty spiritual, but I don't think you even have to be to to get to this place. I agree. I was going to say the same thing. I think if people don't have their own epiphany, I think they can learn just to try yours on for size. Like, try this out. How does this look if we started to act this way, like you're describing? So if they don't have it themselves. Well, that's a great question. Like, how does it look? So no longer am I thinking about what did I eat earlier in the day or what did I eat yesterday to decide what I'm going to eat today? Instead, I'm in the moment with my body. Yeah. And rather listening to this, I talk a lot about in my practice, the subconscious brain or the lower primal brain out there in the, we oftentimes call the monkey brain or the reptilian brain, but this lower primal response of the survival brain, it doesn't have the ability to reason. And so that's the part of the brain that feels so incessant and gives us these food urges that feel out of control. And it, because it doesn't have the ability to reason, it can feel really scary. But what happens is that what we don't realize is that when we're listening to this lower brain, we stop listening to the parts of ourselves that we can pay attention. And your listeners don't know, but I'm touching my forehead. (laughs) And what that means is that your ability to reason comes from this higher brain function. It literally comes from your higher brain, like your prefrontal cortex is the higher part of your brain. That's where we do our conscious thinking, where we create, where we learn, where we form language, where we make decisions the executive functioning of our brain. And when we're in a survival response of, oh, I got to eat this, this food urge, we're not up in this conscious thinking self. We're down here in this survival response, right? And so I spend a lot of time working with my clients and showing them the difference of when they're in this lower brain type 
hardwired programming of survival, which we don't want to hate on. It's there. It's allowed us to survive. That's why the you know human species is still here, but that we very much want to treat it like a toddler because it is, it does not have the ability to reason, but we don't want to be authoritarian with our toddler. We want to be kind and compassionate and curious and help lead it to where we want to go, but also realize that the toddler doesn't have power to get us to do anything that we're driving the car. But so often the toddler climbs out of the back seat and gets in the front seat and starts yeah. driving the car. Right? Yeah. Yes. But when we can get, <laughs> yeah, this is the biggest trick. When we can get really clear on, oh, this is my lower toddler brain. That's not me. Yeah. That's primal based thinking. The true self is who do I want to be? What do I want to create? And when you spend time focusing on that and you couple that with this relationship with your body and and when I say focus, I mean, having practices in your day where you're consciously connecting with your body and reflecting and tapping into your higher thinking self. So practices like meditation and visualizing, yes, journaling is a big one that I teach my clients, but even just having calm in your day. And then the internal way that we talk to ourselves is really important, way more important than I think we can even realize. There's lots of fascinating studies out there on on the power of intention on living things, on plants, but even just on ourselves and the words that we say, they have an energy and they have an influence and they have impact. And this is being shown now in measurable ways through science as well. But we don't have to have science to validate that when we talk crappy about ourselves in our head, we're going to feel crappy. Like we just know that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Can we step back for a second? Because I don't want to bypass the topic you brought up. I want to dig in a little bit on the topic of that chattering voice that doesn't go away that I'm sure most people listening can relate to. We know it's there. Many of us who have done some of the work around this topic and you know, researching and, you know, doing the books and joining clubs, whatever. We know that that's our lower brain talking, that that's not our highest brain and, and the reasoning isn't there, but it's very difficult to stop it sometimes. Yeah. How do you, yeah. So how do you shift that? Or how do you advise people to kind of shift out of that or build a practice mm -hmm. around that? Yeah. Once you get to the point where you are noticing, because I do believe noticing is the first step to really recognize it and kind of call it out for what it is. Yeah. What do you advise to do next? I would say the biggest awareness is number one, but a close second or even on the same level. And this is really important or you will never change. And this is what makes it so hard because you said it's really hard to change. And the reason it's really hard is because we shame and judge ourselves for it. Valid. We think I should be over this by now. I should have changed this by <laughs> yeah, now. Valid. If I was who I was supposed to be, <laughs> yeah. I would have figured this out by now. And I just want to say, you just made all that up. Yeah. Who's to say you shouldn't be? Yeah. Because what happens is that when we think, that goes along with the internal talk, right? When we think the way about ourselves, like, why aren't you over this yet? Transport that into like the way we would look at a child. This is one of my favorite analogies for this. Let's say, you know, a baby that's learning how to crawl and hasn't learned how to walk yet. Would we say, you stupid thing, you could walk. Why are you only crawling? Why haven't you figured this out yet? What? You fell again? You got a bruise on your head? Oh, you are so dumb. Why haven't you figured this out by now? Like to us, that seems so ludicrous. <laughs> right. Because we think that we're adults and should be on that. But we have not stopped growing. We have not stopped evolving. 
And so I just would say, give yourself space to accept that you are on this journey throughout time where you are expanding and growing as a being just by your existence, you're expanding and growing. And the moment that you judge or shame yourself for not being where you think you're supposed to be is the very moment that you hold yourself stuck in the moment where you desire not Mm. because there's a lesson to be learned there. And this is taught in lots of different ideas of thought and theology among many religions and philosophies. And this is very Eckhart Tolle is that it's in the acceptance of that moment. And so this is an important part of my journey at that very same kind of big hinge point back in 2015 for me is I realized I was always telling myself, you're not where you're supposed to be, not where you're supposed to be. Well, what kind of emotion is that thought going to create? Because all of our thoughts, these sentences that run through our brain, they're going to create emotions. And so if I'm always telling myself, I didn't realize I was, but once I had that awareness, right? Because that's the first step awareness. And then that close right along with it is not shaming yourself for it Mm. and realizing, oh, for so long, I've been telling myself I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Shame, guilt. Yes. Not enough, not good enough, all of that, right? Yes. And therefore, any changes that I would want to make moving forward would be fueled by those type of emotions, Mm. guilt, shame, doubt, insecurity. You cannot create confidence from insecurity. You can't do it. One does not beget the other. Confidence begets more confidence. Insecurity just begets more insecurity. But we think, oh, like how many of us have done a diet and think I'm going to really make it work this time. And just to be sure it really sticks, I'm going to buckle down so hard and make myself feel so like you have to do it this time. (laughs) This is your last ditch effort. You will be forever X, Y, Z if you don't do it this time. We think that we're really doing it right. But notice that this is a lower brain type response. This is a survival response. This is a, it's a base primal instinct type response. But if we can shift this up into our higher thinking conscious true selves, because that's who we really are. Everybody's body has this lower brain survival response. But if we can shift into this higher thinking where we really are, And when I say where we really are, someone would say, oftentimes I'll say, well, Carrie, how do I know where I'm at? (laughs) And I say, what is it that you desire? What is it that you want? Whenever we can reflect on what we want to create, that is when we're up here in our conscious thinking self. Because what we want to become is a reflection of who we are innately, like who our true divine selves are. I mean, you look around in nature, this is reflected everywhere in biology and in nature is that the potential of every living thing around us is within it. So think of seeds. Think of, oh my goodness, my tomatoes are going crazy out there because I've had probably hundreds of starts of from tomato plants from last year, from tomatoes that fell, right? So just think within each little seed is the potential to grow up and produce millions of other plants that produce millions of other seeds and so forth. So a tomato seed has the potential within it to produce this. And and every seed that's planted has the, the ability to produce what it desires to become. Now, the tomato seed does not desire to produce a bush and produce raspberries because that potential is not within it. And so when we think about who we are, I, I'm not saying that we're seeds. This is just an analogy, but who we truly desire to be or what we truly desire to experience. And I'm not talking, you know, putting up our feet and watching Netflix, though so that can be part of it. I'm talking about our true desires of who we want to be. That is a reflection of who we are. Otherwise, it would not occur to us. 
Mm. Have you ever listened to someone else's dreams of becoming this or doing that? And you're like, oh, I don't have any of those dreams. Yeah, of course. But I do have a dream for this and this and this, because that is what is available to you if we only but will allow ourselves to go there. And what keeps us from it? Ourselves. A lot of times is this internal talk. But the internal talk and the overcoming of it isn't, and those of you listening, you're probably thinking, oh, I got to stop that. That's such a problem. Instead of phrasing it that way, I want you just to be aware. It makes so much sense that I have this internal talk because I'm human and it exists for my benefit and learning. What do I want to create, even though I have these human parts of me that I don't appreciate or I wish would be different? What do I still want to create? Therefore, what? I love that because, you know, lots of things that we talk about and doing some of this inner work is try to have the lens of curiosity and compassion. And it's really hard to put your finger on what that looks like sometimes. Sometimes it's really not obvious how you can come to something from that lens. But I think how you just reframe that is a great example of that, right? There was no judgment in what you said. There was no shame in what you said, no belittling or kind of chastising of ourselves. It was all around curiosity and why and compassion about, yeah, sure, of course I'm thinking this way. That's natural. Well, natural and it's what I've practiced. Yes, yes. So the, bringing in the brain science aspect again is that any neural pathway in your brain is only there because of repetition. So we've become practiced. Yeah at telling ourselves these things. So if we, and I'm going to use you as an example, if you're okay, Marianne. Yeah, yeah. Like if I were coaching you one on run right now, I would say, I would say, you tend to tell yourself a lot that this is hard. <laughs> Valid. <laughs> yeah. And, and many of your listeners are doing the same thing. And I don't think that you even have to get rid of that thought. I just want you to notice that it's just a thought. Yes. A hundred percent. There is no tool out there that measures that, yes, this human activity is hard and this human activity is hard forever. Like it's, it's only hard if we decide that it is. And you can still believe that it's hard, but I just want you to start with the awareness around why do I hold on to that thought? And maybe that served me before, but now I'm beginning to desire to believe that maybe it's not as hard as I initially thought. Mm. And I would even ask you this question, if it weren't hard what would it be? Not hard. <laughs> well, what would that look like? Like if it wasn't hard, if it wasn't hard to be kind to ourselves, if it wasn't hard to lead with our, our true divine selves, this conscious thinking prefrontal cortex part of ourselves, if it wasn't hard, how would it be? I think it would just flow. You wouldn't get stuck in that, right? I think that's the, when you describe the feeling of thinking about that protein bar, knowing it's in your purse and wanting to eat it. We, we've talked about these yeah. things. Like this is a thing, right? We all know we do that or, or have done that. And I think that would just go away. Like I think about my husband who is a naturally thin person, natural eater, listens to his body. I joked with him just the other day, like he was eating some cookies and there was one left and he he just was like, yeah, no, I'm all set. I'm like, how do you just do that? Like, I can't, you know, it's easy. It's just natural. That's who he is. That's how he's always been. I think not being hard would be that. It would be like being able to say no to that cookie because you're not hungry anymore, because you had enough and not eating it just because it was there, because you felt like you had to, because you didn't want it to go to waste. 
it would look like that. As you're talking, it's reminding me of someone who's in my program right now. And for the last 12, 13 years, she was an Overeaters Anonymous. And she says it would all, every single meeting would begin with, my name is such and such, and I'm an over, you know, I'm an overeater, blah, 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 whatever it is that they say. And Mm -hmm. she says that became my identity. And so what does that identity mean? It means that food is always going to be hard for me. It means that I can't trust myself around food. It means that I have to be hyper vigilant to keep myself in line with what I want to do, right? There's, there's lots of implications that are connected to this. I am an overeaters anonymous person. And, and I'm not saying that overeaters anonymous is bad. I think everybody's in different places in their journey. And that very well may be a necessary part for many people. So don't over, don't over apply what I'm saying. But she says, I realize that I am not an overeater. I am just me. And so when we get rid of the hard, when we get become a little bit more practiced at creating the space between this lower primal brain and this more elevated, higher way of thinking that is where we really reside, we learn that we can trust ourselves. And when you find that place of self-trust, it's not hard. Yeah, Like you said, it flows and it feels so good. That doesn't mean that life doesn't come up. It just means we don't live most of the time in this difficult place. It means we find a flow. That's a great point because I think it's important to call that out. Many of us that have been on this journey and doing the work, it has gotten to be a lot more that flow state, a lot less of that kind of stuck in that hard. But I think it is important to acknowledge that it doesn't necessarily completely go away because yeah. I think people can get hung up on that when it then it comes back and you're like, oh my goodness, that's okay. That's just you and that's part of the cycle of you. It's to be expected. And that is to be expected because you're still human. Yeah. You're still in a human body yes. with this lower primal brain. Yeah. yeah. Which is there as a teacher for us because our brain has this negative bias, right? It's always looking for the negative. It's always looking for what's wrong. And that's what keeps us alive. But it also, if we allow it to overtake us, it will lead us to a life of hyper anxiety, right? Which you know, then you go back from anxiety to depression, right? Anxiety, depression, overwhelm, frustration. It can lead us into a tight ball of that where then we're eating all the time to try to distract and self-soothe. And it can look in like all, lots of other addictions, but that is not who you are. That's never who you are. Right. Who you are is what you desire. And and so like, for example, I look back on my younger self that was teased for her weight and that struggled that I remember in college, my roommate making cookies and she had made them for something like she, she said, no one eat the cookies because they're for something. I don't remember some class or something. And I remember eating the cookies. <gasps> I literally, I remember I ate like three or four of them. Like, and I was, I mean, I was probably 18 or 19 at the time. And I remember feeling such shame. Like I look back on that part of myself, like, why couldn't I control myself? No, no. Like I look back on all these younger parts of myself and they don't exist because there was something wrong with me before and now there isn't. I've always been exactly where I'm supposed to be in the moment that I was in it because life exists to teach us and expand us and help us grow. And so we want to be all in on the moment. I was saying earlier in, in 2015 is that I set a reminder on my phone like four or five different times throughout the day and it would go off and give me this mantra of you're exactly where you're supposed to be in this moment. So this idea that just because we're not where we prefer to be, or just because we're working towards being in a different place, doesn't mean the now is wrong. The now is always part of the journey. I know that sounds kind of philosophical, but 
it is an acceptance of the moment that we're able to more easily flow to where we desire to be. Yeah. I mean, I've come to that realization myself with doing some of this work and talking to so many people. One of my biggest things has been, I wish that I could somehow spread the message to to the younger population much earlier. Because for us in our, our I'll say middle age, where you get to this unlearning period and you, you know, you really recognize all this stuff that you've gone through and all these lessons. But I think it's because we're ready for the younger group. The truth is they're not ready for it. They're not, they're in the place they need to be in and they're not ready for it. Just like we weren't ready for yes. it when somebody tried to tell us, yes. right? The baby wasn't ready to walk. He needed to crawl. And right. That, crawling right. Is important to building those <laughs> muscles to be able to walk, right? Yes. It's all as it should be. Yeah. Well, logically I get that, yeah. but you know, there's a part of me that wants to have them avoid all the trouble in the middle and just skip to the finish line and say, well, yeah. you know, skip those hard, I'm going to say it again, hard 20 years and come right to the spot oh, where sure. life yeah. gets really good and easy. I don't, yeah. You know, there's, and I don't mean easy, everything's wonderful, but much easier than... Yeah, let's skip to here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they're it's the truth is exactly what you said. It's yeah. They're not ready and they haven't had the experiences and just like we aren't ready to be our you know, 10 years from now selves, we're figuring out those things now. So yeah, I get yeah, that. And the journey is so, the journey can be fun. The journey's great. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's all those things, yeah. right? There's hard, hard. hard. There's, that yes. there's things that are hard <laughs> yes. and there's things that are not. Yes. And we know that our whole experience we've created, that's also the, the relief in it is that our experience is created by our thinking. The quality of our life is a direct reflection of the quality of the meaning we've attached to those things in our life. hundred percent. And so we get to create it however we want it to be. Yeah. Even if it takes us a yeah. little while, we're not in a hurry. Yeah. All right. We just have yeah. to keep doing the work. Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 What a great conversation I'm having with Gary. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. And I can't wait to finish the discussion around doing the work and mindset and working through our relationship with our body, getting comfortable in the now. Join us for the second part of the conversation in next week's episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Message in the Middle with Marianne. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to share it and write a review as it helps bring new listeners to our audience. If you'd like to keep the conversation going between episodes, please join us at Facebook group, Message in the Middle with Marianne.